so long. Gotta get a little light inside. Welcome back to another episode of Big Girl Panties. I'm Jennifer Hodugatz. Recently, I got a Facebook message from a friend, and, and she's actually in Canada for a while. She's doing some type of Disney cruise that she's getting ready for. She's going to be working for the cruise. And she was so homesick. She was extremely homesick. And when I mean extremely, I mean she was, you know, texting me every day, calling. She was Facebook messaging me, and she was just really down and out. So I decided, let me get a ticket to Toronto. I'm going to hop in a plane and go see her. The plane rides about an hour and maybe a half. And I, I land in Toronto. I'm so excited to see her. I can't wait to try poutine for the first time, which if you don't know what poutine is, it's cheese fries, but it's actually cheese curds with gravy on top of it. And they're delicious if you don't have a lactose intolerance. So I, I land in Toronto and I grab an Uber and I'm sitting there. Now I have a half hour ride from the airport to the hotel. And I'm super pumped. I'm going to see Onika. I'm going to give her that hug she's been wanting. And in that half-hour ride, I learned so much about this cab driver. He was telling me about his 16-year-old daughters. He has two daughters. One is 16, and he starts telling me, oh, my gosh, you know, she's she's probably having sex. And if she gets pregnant, I'm going to disown her. And my jaw drops open because it reminds me of my father. I remember growing up, my father had always said to me when I hit probably puberty, on Phil Donahue today, they had girls that were pregnant and you better not get pregnant. And that's what this man reminded me of. He reminded me of my father. And so I started talking to him about, you know, being 16 and girls will be girls and If she gets pregnant, I'm sure he's not going to leave her side. And he was so adamant, saying, no, if she gets pregnant, that's it. I'm disowning her. So I said, you know, you might want to start talking to her and not finding out if she's had sex, but talk to her about the consequences of it and what she's going to have to live with if she does have sex. So in half an hour, I learned a lot about this man's life. And it was interesting because... I thought to myself, okay, well, in 30 minutes, I learned this much about this man. And I haven't talked to any of you guys about my story and and my history. Now, some of you already know me. But for the ones that don't, just so you know who's here talking to you now, I thought I might share a little bit about my history. My father is from Hong Kong. He's Chinese. He stands at about 5 feet 5. Uh, so he's shorter than me. I'm 5'6 by an inch. My mother is 5'11", and she's got blonde curly hair and hazel eyes. She's from New York. Uh, her mother is actually of Norwegian descent. So if you can close your eyes and think what a person would look like from Norway, if you've ever seen Frozen, uh, that's primarily it at 5'11". So there was a six-inch difference there automatically. Not to mention that they got married back in the 70s. Now, in the 70s, you really didn't see any mixed-race couples. And you definitely didn't see a white 5'11 woman with a Chinese 5'5 man. They decided to leave New York and they moved to Oklahoma. And that's where they had me. 
Now, in Oklahoma, remember, you are thick in the Bible Belt. It is flat as flat can be. So here's my mother and father in the middle of Oklahoma, which is very blonde, permed hair, a lot of cowboys, um, really just middle America. And they have me. And when I come out, I'm this dark-haired girl. You can't really tell what I look, what I, what I am. I have dark hair. I kind of look like a refugee, and I've got this blonde streak coming out of the back of my head. And what I mean, blonde streak, it is bright blonde. So when I hit elementary school, I remember the teachers used to pull me aside and bring me into the classrooms. So they could show the kids the back of my hair, and then all of a sudden I got this new nickname, and they used to call me Skunk. Now, my mother used to tell me that's where I was touched by God. And the alternative to thinking either I'm a skunk or touched by God, I chose I was touched by God. So growing up, there was this one other girl. Her name was Kara. And Kara was also half Asian and half white. Our fathers were best friends. They were both pharmacists, and they worked in the same pharmacy together. And our mothers were actually nurses. So it was very interesting parallels there. And I remember connecting with Kara about everything. You know, what it was, I kind of looked to her to to grow up and kind of find an identity because she was the only one that could possibly understand me. I'm not fully Chinese. And I'm not fully white. And I spent much of my younger year trying to fit into the population of Oklahoma, which is blonde and permed hair. And there was no way that I could be blonde, and my mother would never let me perm my hair. So I was always a little bit outside of the box and trying to fit in, whatever that looked like. I always wanted the cool clothes. And I always wanted to do what the other girls were doing. Yet I was different because I was a tomboy. So I used to play with G.I. Joes, Transformers, and my favorite show was Thundercats. So this was around probably third grade. And in third grade, I remember this little boy came up to me and he pulled his eyes. And and you can imagine, he took two fingers and he took them into the corner of his eyes and he pulled really tight. And he says, oh, look, Chinese, Japanese. And he, he was making fun of me. And it was my first time ever I had ever dealt with racism. And when I mean racism, I understand he was a little boy and he probably didn't know any better. But it was the first time that I'd ever been called out for actually being Chinese. And I felt shame. It was incredible, but I actually felt shame because somebody was pointing out to me that I did not fit in. So I struggled with that for the next couple of years. I said, okay, I'm I'm Chinese. What does this mean? Because nobody else is really Chinese around me. And I've got my friend Kara, and she's half Chinese, but she's trying to figure it out too. So here we both are in this, you know, proverbial dinghy in the middle of an ocean trying to figure out where where our shore was. And then I decided that I was going to remain different, that different was actually really cool. 
okay, so I've got dark hair and my my eyes are a little slanted and, you know, white people see me as Chinese. And when I would go to Chinatown in Oklahoma, and yes, there is a Chinatown in Oklahoma. It's all about half a block long and it consists of a supermarket and a restaurant. And so when I decided that, you know, I'd go into Chinatown and I'd go to the Chinese restaurant, they would look at me and I would say, oh, I'm Chinese too. And they'd say, no, no, you're, no, you're not. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, the white people aren't accepting that I'm white and the Chinese people aren't accepting that I'm Chinese. So I guess I'm going to have to make up my own definition. And with that came this incredible amount of freedom. I could do whatever I wanted to do. I could, you know, decide whether or not that day I kind of wanted to be Chinese or, you know, the next day I was going to to be white. Or if I met somebody, I could decide how I was going to answer them. Or I found out when I told them what my background was, they thought it was really cool. So there was strength in that. So soon after I became, you know, the only girl on a boys' soccer team, I um, worked really hard to get into this uh, school for the gifted. And in this school, we were learning how to make Fabergé eggs and Russian. We were learning Russian. And at that time, computers were new. So we would make these huge banners with computers. And I think I was working out of, I think it was like a 386. So if anybody remembers what it was like to work in DOS, that was me. And every day to and from the the school, we would listen to George Michael. And actually, thinking about it now, it was really not appropriate because we would be singing the, the Faith album. So once my father saw that I had been accepted into this gifted school, he then decided that he was really, I mean, I was the prodigy child, so... I mean, geez, he's he's really got to push me. So after school, I would have an hour of piano, and then I'd have an hour and a half of algebra. Now, now I'm going backwards a little bit. This is in second grade. And these weren't just normal American algebra books. He would actually send off to Hong Kong and get the British algebra books and teach me that. So it actually, his expectations for me went like through the roof. So through those expectations, I really learned how to be a go-getter and an independent and a overachiever, which worked for me and it didn't work for me. But in my childhood years, it really worked for me. At about 15, my parents decided to get a divorce. And instead of going with my father to California and my brother to California or or stay with my mother in Oklahoma, I decided to uproot myself and move in with my maternal grandmother on Long Island. And because I was such an overachiever and I knew that the laws in New York were, would not allow a 16-year-old to drive, I decided to wait the day of my 16th birthday, get my driver's license, and then leave for New York. And I did. And when I came to New York, it was wonderful because I had summered in New York. So all I ever knew in New York was summer. It's fun. I go to the beach. I hang out with my new friends and I explore. 
So here's an example of my overachieving. I remember because New York has the different structure for high school, so it's based on the amount of credits. I remember that I was, that was it. I was going to graduate early, and here was my date. I was going to graduate in January of 95, I believe. And I needed to start looking at colleges. So I started applying around, and I wanted to be far away enough from New York, but close enough that I can come and visit. So three hours looked good, and I landed on on Temple University. And I set my start date to be January 16th. Well, I graduated high school January 15th, and the next day I started classes in Temple University. I missed my prom. I missed my graduation. I still, to this day, I don't have my physical diploma. I know I graduated, but at that point it didn't matter because I had already started the university. So moving to Philadelphia was quite a shock. I was just thrown from high school right into college. And, you know, I was really looking forward to getting an early start in my life. And I remember I rented an apartment there in the basement on 23rd and Walnut of this four-story walk-up. And it was great because I had a little backyard, but I rented it for $250. And I just thought I had the life. It was a studio apartment. And uh, I I swear most gyms have better bathrooms than than I had there. But I would take the train and I would get into North Philadelphia, start my classes. And I have to tell you, truthfully, Temple University is, is a little bit of a blur. I remember going to classes and working three jobs because I had to pay my own way through college. I think my father took care of one semester. But the rest, you know, I took care of myself. Uh, He had always said to me, you know, if you're not going to go to school for pharmacy and you want to go to school for psychology, then I'm not going to pay for it. So I remember I was paying for it by myself. And I was super headstrong and, of course, like I said, the overachiever. So I started my classes and... And it was, you know, everything was good. It was tough. I remember eating sunflower seeds for for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And sometimes, if I was lucky, I would be able to get a $2 taco from across the street. And that, at that time, was like a filet mignon to me. And I had, you know, started meeting a lot of friends and dating and and having fun and really just loving the city. I remember I couldn't walk anywhere in that city without saying hi to someone. And a lot of the stories that I had about being a mixed race had left me. I don't know if you had ever listened to the first podcast episode that I released, but I talk about why I started Big Girl Panties in the beginning. And This is where it comes back full circle. And this is the day that I went to the library and I met the homeless man on the steps and we got into a four-hour conversation. And the great thing about this conversation and how it changed my life was that this man was actually mixed race as well. He was half black and he was half white. And I had talked about, you know, me growing up in Oklahoma and more or less the whole story that I had just told you. And he said... You know, instead of 
choosing white or black. I chose both. And I had never thought to myself to actually choose both races. I always said, well, let me let me figure out which one I wanted to identify with. And all those years I identify with Chinese. And even today, I think I, I still identify a little bit more with Chinese, um, but for a different reason. And he would tell me how he grew up in the South and how he grew up in the South half black and how half white and how difficult that was for him until he actually moved to Philadelphia. And I think he had, he had said he moved there in the 70s. And how instead of, you know, focusing on one race or the other, he focused on both and just embraced his individuality. And I said, oh, I got it. It's not just about being different. It's the idea that we're all individuals. And once I really embodied that and I took that in, I went, oh, my gosh, okay, great. So I'm my own individual. If I'm my own individual and I don't need to be beholden to one race or the other or even a sex or a creed or a religion, then if I strip all of that away, then who am I and who can I be? So my identity crisis became an identity search. And I started just diving into everything and anything I could. I wanted to find out about um, Judaism, and I wanted to find out about Buddhism, and I read the Quran, and I found out about Asian cultures, and I found out about Indian cultures, and I found out about, you know, Americans and Norwegians, and I started really just diving into everything and anything I could get my hands into. And I actually really went into the realm of spirituality as well. Of course, very skeptical all of the way, but I dove into that as well. So it was really interesting. I decided that I could really just pick and choose who and what I wanted to be. So when I look at myself today, I see a conglomeration of all of these wonderful things. Think of it as a collage, right? I pulled these pieces and these pictures and kind of made this beautiful picture that I call me. And it's wonderful because I'm so comfortable in my own skin. At any minute in time, I can, you know, pull a piece out from that collage and just kind of show more of that. Or I can put it behind me. And I learned so much about people and cultures and being an individual. So when I get into a conversation with somebody, and it can be at a networking event like I've talked about, it could be in a cab, it can be my neighbor. I look at them as individuals instead of trying to put them in a box. I found a lot of the times, you know, growing up, I used to look at people and say, oh, they're white, so they must be like this. Oh, she's got blonde hair, so she's got to be like this. Or, oh, look at those fancy clothes. She must be rich. But now I see them as different. I see them as part of their own collage. And I see them as their individual selves, which is actually really cool because when you strip away the ideals that you have on that person from first chance meeting, then you actually get to get into a different conversation with them and find out who they are at their core if they allow you to look at it. Now my life consists of the rainbow. I have my brother who is half and half, of course, but he married an Egyptian woman. 
My stepmother is Chinese. She's from Hong Kong. My mother had ended up and divorced an Israeli man. I married a Jewish Israeli man. And my sons are every mix of the rainbow. My my first son is uh, a quarter Vietnamese, a quarter Chinese, Irish, and American. And my other son is Israeli, white, and Chinese. So they are their own collages. And so when you walk through this world and you look at somebody, try not to see them for the big picture that they are, but try to think of them as a collage. There are many different multiple facets of that person that makes them up. And try to find out what it is. Because as you sit down and you speak to somebody, you'll find out that their collage is actually beautiful and brilliant and interesting. And you might add a piece to their collage, or they might add a piece to yours. And with that, I encourage you to get out there, put on your big girl panties, and connect with your world. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook. Until next time, this is Jennifer Hodugatz. I want to leave my footprints on the sands of time. Know there was something that meant something that I left behind. When I leave this world, I'll leave no regrets. Leave something to remember so they won't forget I was here. Everything.